Welcome to the Early Career Moves Podcast, the career strategy podcast for BIPOC folks in their 20s and 30s trying to figure out their next career move. I'm your host, Priscilla Weninger Bolcha, Latinx career coach, former talent recruiter, and human capital management consultant. Each Friday, I'll share an actionable tip to help you on your career change journey so that you can job search with confidence, land amazing job offers, and get on with your life. Let's get started. Hey, welcome back to the Early Career Moves Podcast, episode 62. We have a very special guest today. We have Al D on the show. He is a human capital expert, and he's talking to us about how to set yourself up for success when you're starting a brand new job. So you've already done all of this work to finally get the job offer of your dreams. You've accepted it. Now what do you do? How do you prepare for your first week or your first 30 days or your first 90 days? We talk through some very concrete strategies to make sure that you're starting off on the right foot at your new company in your new role. Excited to hear what you think of this episode. If you have any questions for me or any feedback or anything at all, when you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at Priscilla at ecmpodcast.com. That's Priscilla at ecmpodcast.com or reach me on Instagram, Priscilla Bolcha is my handle for the podcast. I changed it from last season. So Priscilla Bolcha is where you can follow me, DM me, ask me questions. I would love to get in touch with you. And also, if you love this podcast, please consider writing a review for us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I would so super appreciate it. All right, have a great weekend and talk to you later. Welcome to the show, Al. Really excited to have you here. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah. So I know that you've been heavy in this world of exploring human capital topics. And I've been reading your newsletter every Sunday. And one of the newsletters that I read that I just wanted to dive deeply in with you was just this idea of how to onboard and start your job on the right step. Like, how do you start a new job and set yourself up for success? So really excited to have you here to talk through just tangible tips that people can keep in mind. But before that, would love to have you introduce yourself to the audience and just share a little bit about who you are, where do you live, and what do you do? Absolutely. So a little bit about me. My name is Al D. I'm the founder of Better Work Labs, and I work with higher education institutions to prepare students for the future of work. And I work with companies and leaders who want to attract as well as develop talent so they can thrive and produce for organizations. And I got into this work partially because I really enjoy work. I've always really enjoyed work. I got my first job when I was 12, and it was a creative outlet for me to use my talents and skills and gifts to contribute. And ever since then, I've just been on a mission to help other people find that opportunity so that they can find meaning and purpose, but also so they can contribute their talents and gifts to the world. And I know before this, you were doing work in the MBA space, and that's how yeah. you and I kind of you know, came across each other. Is that work still happening? Is MBA school still live? What's going on with that? Absolutely. MBA school is still live, up and kicking. And for those out there who aren't familiar with MBA school, I started MBA school as a blog and media back in 2014 to educate fellow MBA students as well as MBA aspirants about what an MBA was like and how people could use an MBA to grow their career. And after I graduated from business school, which is when I started the blog, I continued to write for the site and continued to really talk and speak and help aspiring MBAs and students about navigating the MBA experience. And fast forward about eight or nine years later, the blog is still running. There's a podcast. I've written a book about the business school experience. And a lot of what I learned from that in terms of 
really helping people think about how they can make career transitions, how they can achieve specific career outcomes through education, and how they can use their career as a means to contribute in the world. That has really fueled a lot of the work that I do now uh, in terms of working both with on the side of the employers in terms of helping them think about how do we set our people up for success and help them to grow and learn so that they can contribute, as well as in terms of continuing to work with higher education institutions, both at the graduate and undergraduate level, in terms of helping them really think about how do we prepare our students for a world of work that is markedly different than what many of us probably grew up as. And so as we were talking a little bit even before, even us, as we're getting quote unquote older, the world of work is slightly different than when you and I think probably we're growing up and thinking about careers. And so very much MBA school is alive and well, and really has the roots of, of what I do now. But you know, fundamentally, what it comes back to for me is that I really believe in the power of human potential. And I really spent a lot of my days thinking about how do we use work and careers as a vehicle to use that power of human potential and to really help it thrive and contribute in the world. I'm glad to hear that's still a resource to MBA students. That's awesome. So would love to transition over to our topic, starting a new job. You have experience with starting new jobs and not just starting new jobs, but like starting in a new function or like a new industry and being a beginner. Why don't we start there? Especially coming out of the MBA, most MBA grads are entering a brand new industry, brand new function, et cetera. Not everyone in my audience are they're not necessarily MBAs, but they might be trying to do something similar, going breaking into something completely new. Like, what are your thoughts on like just like that beginner mindset or like things to consider when you are kind of new to everything? I love the idea of a beginner's mindset. And it was something when I worked at Salesforce, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, founder of Salesforce, he talked about that all the time. And as a means to a always to be curious, right? But also as a means to being open to new ideas and to new things. And I think particularly if you are someone, which I think many listeners are, who part of what you where you why you've gotten to where you are is because of your expertise and your ability to be successful. And I think a beginner's mindset is particularly important for those people because while you may think that your expertise and experience will fuel you fuel you to continue to be successful, what I actually think will fuel you to be successful is to have a beginner's mindset and to be curious and to be aware that even if you are successful in some right, being open to new ideas and new things can help you fuel that success, not necessarily always having to rely on the thing you used to do. And I think that's really important when you start a new job. So in the context of MBAs, where I have seen this a lot of, and partially why I started getting into this research was that as an MBA graduate, you graduate with this degree, all this new knowledge, you worked really hard for two plus years to get where you are, and you want to start in a new job, in a new function, in a new role, and you want to proverbially hit the ground running, right? Like you want to do all the things, like you want to prove to others that you belong and that you were a good investment, you might want to put that degree to use, right? All well-intentioned and good reasons. But what I kept hearing from people and what I kept seeing myself is that while those were really great intentions, they could often lead to unintended consequences and outcomes. And I think what a lot of it came back to was really confusing action with progress in an attempt to always want to get the quick win and to always want to show that you're working towards something people were just starting to do all of the things without <laughs> thinking through with intention around, are these the right things to be doing? And what I realized and what I learned from a lot of the research was that oftentimes the best thing that you can do to start is to not do anything and just to listen. And, and eventually, I mean, you can't listen your way into success. Like at some point you do have to do the damn thing. Right. But particularly when you're starting off, 
there really is an opportunity to take that beginner's mindset, to be curious, to listen, uh, to uh, build relationships with the people around you who rightfully or wrongfully for what they've done have just been there longer and to glean from them things (laughs) that will then make whatever you do even more effective. And so I think the beginner's mindset is a great way to embrace being new uh, when you're starting a new job or a new role or a new function. Yeah. I really like that because I think the way I ask the question, it seems like it could be like a deficit, right? To be a beginner. And I think a lot of us come in with that mindset of, I'm new. I, you know, there's a lot for me to learn here. The learning curve is steep, but it can actually be an asset, you know, if you use it, you know, in a way where you are curious, you're listening, you're asking good questions that are insightful and getting meaningful information that can inform your action, like you were saying. So I love that. Yeah, I would just one thing to add, I remember reading and hearing a little bit too, just from some of my colleagues who work there, but McKinsey used to have a little, like, I don't know if it was necessarily a rule, but kind of a norm that the person in the room who was newest to the team, and generally speaking, a lot of times it usually was someone who was more junior, had the ability to disagree first with anything that was said. And the reason why was because they had the beginner's mindset. And they didn't know all the ways of working. They didn't know all the cultural norms. And so they would be more willing and more able to see potential shortcomings or gaps, right? And so part of that, I think, was smart in some ways because it could surface things that people in the room who had been doing this for years would have just kind of glossed over because this was just business as usual. And so going back to your point, having that beginner's mindset in that case could be really beneficial, not just for that individual, but for the rest of the team. Because it can be very easy once you've worked at a place for a while to have those blinders on and to not necessarily be aware of some blind spots. And so there are benefits to not only embracing the beginner's mindset as a new employee, but as a manager or leader, embracing the people who have that beginner's mindset. Totally. Yeah. And you're making me think a little bit about culture. So like an organizational culture and whether or not it rewards speaking up, sharing feedback, (laughs) that kind of thing. What are things that you might be thinking about when you're thinking about culture when you're first starting somewhere, maybe your first few weeks? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it comes down to really being able to observe and to ask thoughtful questions about as about the culture. And I think the easiest kind of way to think about culture, I think Seth Godin once said, culture is this phrase, people like us do things like this. And I think the key word there is do. And that's really what you want to focus on because every company can write about their culture on the website or on a glass door page. And you should probably take a look at that. Uh, when you talk to people who talk about their culture, they can say certain things. But what you really want to be focused on are A, the behaviors of what they do. And then maybe even going further, if you can get to that, which of those behaviors are championed and rewarded? Because ultimately, that's really what culture really comes back to, right? And if you're going around and asking, so like we can do like good and then better. So if you're going around and asking, hey, what does culture look like here? Or And someone says to you, okay, well, our culture is very collaborative. Okay, great. That's good. And like, it's glad, I'm glad they said that. But what you really want in that situation is like, okay, well, can you tell me about an example where people collaborate, or can you tell me what collaboration looks like here? Or can you tell me a project where people collaborated that was rewarded or seen as like a good project? Like that's really what you want to get to, right? Because as you start to learn that, then you can start to understand, okay, if I want to be successful here, this company values collaboration. Here are some of the behaviors that I could exhibit 
that are rewarded. So in that way, when I go and work on this project that I'm taking on, I can collaborate in an effective manner that is aligned and rewarded by the organization. But it does take a little bit of nuance and a little bit of understanding and a little bit of talking to people about what is, in this case, collaboration look like here? How is it rewarded? And that, again, that starts with listening and observing. And that's why I think it's really powerful. And I think that is just a much better approach than just going in with just, all right, well, here's how I'm going to work on this project. Totally. And also assuming that however you did things in your previous organization will apply in your new place. It's just, you know, you really, it really helps to do some of that thinking at the beginning of like, how do people show up? Who are the most visible leaders and what do they do kind of thing is great. Yeah. And I think to your point too, about what you just said in terms of watching the leaders, I think that's another really good point. As you think about culture, really understanding who are those individuals within this culture that really embody the ethos of this culture? Some, there's an actual term for that, but they, a lot of times they call them culture carriers, right? And so either these are people who the culture is kind of based around or at least who embody those and who are either rewarded or respected or revered and the like. You know, being able to find those types of people when you're new is really helpful because it gives you context, which is another really important thing that you don't have. But if you can get, that's going to make anything that you do even better, Right. And so that's also why I really think it's important to, uh, at least initially, to have that beginner's mindset and just that genuine interest in listening and being curious to observing things around you. Yeah. And so I think another piece here that's related is the intentional networking that you probably Mm -hmm. want to do at the beginning of your time at a new place. I think some people call it like building out your stakeholder map or like understanding like who are the people that you'll be working with. But I know you've written a little bit about there's people that may not even be on your radar that you should potentially think through. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a great point. And I think there's a couple things that are here. I mean, at the end of the day, organizations are like fundamentally or businesses at their core are organizations which are a mix of people, processes and data, right? And so anything you do is going to always kind of more or less come back to that. So people are a huge part of that and making sure that you are connecting with the right kinds of people and being thoughtful about it, I think is really critical. I think one of the common well-intentioned, again, mistakes that I see is just people understand they need to network and meet people. And so they go on that coffee chat, like tour a bazillion different people. Um, I think it's in many ways, it's better than not doing anything, but also you, you know, you have to prioritize, right? And you have to be thoughtful about uh, who is going to make the most sense for you, at least right now. And so being able to be thoughtful about and intentional about who you want to kind of meet is really important. Uh, I think, of, generally speaking, it's good, safe to assume that a good portion of that to start are going to be those core stakeholders that you just are going to, because of your role, you're probably going to end up working with a lot. That said, something that is, I think, also really important as you think about this, or kind of those weak ties within the rest of the organization that could end up being really helpful that you may not necessarily see on the surface. And just for folks who aren't as familiar with the concept of weak ties, but this is coming back to the Stanford professor from the 1970s who did the study about weak ties and strong ties. So weak ties are basically kind of the, the folks who are maybe not your first degree connection, but maybe your second or third degree connection. So you kind of know them, but they're on the margins versus the strong ties, which are your more direct connections who tend to be more influential. And so the basic theory behind this is that a lot of times the weak ties are often more effective. And in this case, they were more effective, you know, helping people find jobs than the actual strong ties. 
And I think part of that also just comes from the fact that the folks who are closest to you, they're the known quantities, right? And the things that come from those, you can often kind of see. But what you can't see sometimes are those unseen opportunities that come from the weak ties because they're just less connected with you. And that is true, I think, also within an organization as well, in terms of really figuring out who are some of those pockets of people out there who I might not be able to see right now who could you know, be really good people to know. It could be a culture carrier who maybe doesn't sit you know, within your team, but knows a lot of information and has a lot of contacts that can often connect you with other people. Um, and it, I do recognize that particularly when you're new, it can be hard to necessarily spot who these people are. But that's also why as long as you really also spend time with your manager or other people, they can kind of help you with that, right? Like they can help and spot you and help. They have a much broader perspective of being able to help you hone in on who those people might be who could help you do some of that. So would love to move over to a little bit around like performance planning. So as you know, you know, we probably heard of like, you know, planning for your first 90 days and setting really clear goals for yourself and knowing what success looks like. But I do think that has a lot to do with your direct manager and how you kick off that relationship and how you communicate about what's going to go down the first 30 days or the first 90 days. So what are your thoughts on something that maybe a new hire should think about doing to make sure that you do kick off that that relationship with your manager on a good note and kind of have clear expectations and communication. Yeah, I, great point. So the first thing I would say is even the just the act of intentionally bringing this up is a great place to start. I think where a lot of challenges come into play is to your point where there isn't clarity or there isn't definition and the individual employee waits for the manager to make that happen. And so I'm just going to go and say that the very first thing that you can do to get this on the right path is to go out of your way to proactively engage your manager in this conversation. I'm less concerned about the specifics only because the specifics will always end up inevitably varying person and, and roll the role. But I can certainly can prescribe some thoughts and ideas. But I think just the general idea of being able to have that conversation pretty quickly up front, just around, hey... I want to be successful here in this role. And I'd love to have a conversation around what that that could look like, both at a strategic level, as well as a more tactical 30, 60, 90, whatever it ends up being. Yeah. And and that will, again, vary company to company. But I think any manager who is worth their salt, if you go to them to do that, they're going to be happy to engage in that conversation because they're kind of on the hook for making sure you're successful too, right? So I think that's a good starting point. What I would say after that is, there's two elements of really plotting this out. There are the extrinsic measures and then the in intrinsic measures. The extrinsic measures are really going to be you and your manager figuring out based off of your role and what the business needs, what are the things you're going to do towards what outcomes that you're going to get to, right? And those could be deliverables. It could be metrics. It could be whatever it is. But those are some of the external extrinsic measures. You're going to work with your manager to kind of come up with those. You probably have a decent at least somewhat of an understanding because you probably wouldn't have taken the job if you didn't if you <laughs> yeah. didn't want to do those. But there's some dialogue that can go in there. The intrinsic ones, though, that's going to come a little bit from your own internal kind of reflection, as well as your own ideas and aspirations. It starts with you. But for those ones, those are absolutely things that your manager and many other people can help with or give feedback on. But that's really about your own development and growth and really thinking about how do I want to how do I want to measure my own measures of success? And I think those are really important because at some point, this role will not be your role anymore, right? And if you're solely indexing to what the success for the role is extrinsically, you're going to miss the things that are really important to who you are too. And this is not to say that you can't want some of those extrinsic measures, like you certainly can. But 
extrinsic without intrinsic, I think is potentially going to set you up for some challenging moments down the road. So I think bucketing kind of planning into those two groups is a really good place to start. I think another thing that's just even more, I don't know that people really like necessarily think through this all the time, but is really important is the ways of working. So literally just working styles and having a really transparent conversation with your manager about working styles and different organizations have different ways of tackling this, right? But you might be someone who's very in the details. You might be someone who's more concerned with like the big picture. So I think just sharing a little bit about the way that you think and what's your, what are your strengths and also maybe even acknowledging like these are two areas that I'm working on improving, like all of that, putting it on the table or even things like if you are a working parent, you know, letting your team know, or talking through what are t- hours that you're offline or something like that. Like I think those kinds of topics are really helpful to get on the table sooner rather than later. I'm glad you brought this up because I think this, I absolutely agree, this is really important. And I think it's even more important now with where we are with work, just because so many different places are in so many different places with their own work policies. And so this was important before COVID. And this is more important now because This has a lot of implications, particularly if you are someone who is working on site, but your manager is in the office or vice versa, or you are in a team that is remote distributed. So I'd say a couple of things. And I used to work at Deloitte, so I love business chemistry. It's great. And I think fundamentally what it comes back to is two things. First off, I think the best way to, to enter in this or to have this conversation really is rooted in two things. One, understanding what are the norms of how things work today? And we'll start first with my team uh, because people will be at various, you know, different sizes of companies. It can vary company, but within my team, what are the norms that are there? And so being able to understand what those are, not agree or disagree with them, but at least just understand how they are today, I think is a really good starting point. And then from there, you can also kind of think about how that works with your own communication style. And I've also found that sometimes that can be a very good starting point because not everyone thinks about their own communication style or their own preferences, right? You just, that's one of those things you just, sometimes you just do. You don't really yeah. think about it. Like it's just, it just, this is how I communicate. So that can be a really good forcing function for you to come to that. But once you've done that, then I think it's great to have that conversation, right? Particularly starting with your manager, just to be like, hey, what are the best ways for us to communicate? Do you what, prefer meetings? Do you prefer Slack? Do you prefer IM or what, whatever it ends up being? And also really getting to know from them of how do people do that around here? Like how do people meet? How do they communicate? What are the right styles and mechanisms and the like? I think once you do that, then you can start to lay the groundwork for what I think you're referring to and what I've seen a lot of teams and companies do, which is called user manuals, which basically are documents that really articulate some of what you talked about in terms of here's how I prefer to communicate or here's how I show up best or here are some of the things that you can come to me for or here are my working hours, like et cetera. I have found that these can be really effective documents, particularly when a team collectively agrees to do them together. So for example, let's say you're on a team of like six or eight people. If everyone creates their own user manual and is on a line and aligned with others just around, hey, here's how each individual team member prefers to communicate or here's their core working hours or here's here's where you can reach them, things like that. Uh, it sets a level playing field and a level context and understanding of, hey, we're all in this together and we're all both going to try our best to understand our own communication styles, but also to be intentional about how we communicate with others when we engage with them. And there are also great tools out there. Business chemistry is one of them. There's plenty of others like DISC, 
is another one, MBTI. But at the end of the day, like ultimately fundamentally comes back to is just this idea that when we better understand and intentionally design around how others communicate, when we know how we communicate, maybe we can be more effective when we engage with other people, whether those people are remote or in the office or somewhere in between. Cool. So, you know, we're almost wrapping up this conversation. Is there anything else that maybe I missed that we should quickly acknowledge Like, is another thing to keep in mind during the onboarding period? Anything that we you think we missed? No, I really, I'm really glad you asked me. I mean, I thank you for allowing me to come on and talk about this because I think it is really important. And I think the three words I would, I come back to just based on this conversation are number one, proactive, right? And your company hopefully is going to give you some form of onboarding, but even if they don't wait for it, take it in your own hands because it's your job. <laughs> the second thing is intention is intentional, right? In terms of being thoughtful about where you're going to devote your energy, your time, and your activities, based, particularly knowing that time is of the essence. And maybe the last word I would use is observation. Being able to observe and to listen, when it is time for you to do things, it will make your doing that much more effective. Whether or not things are, you know, in many cases, oftentimes is the case, you might be brought in because there is a challenge and that's why they're hiring someone new to the role. Yeah. And even if that means you're going to have to fix things, your ability to fix things or your ability to provide new solutions will be even better and even more effective when you observe and listen first. And so intentional, proactive, and observe, I think those are the three words that, that would really highlight and articulate what good onboarding could look like for someone starting a new job, role, or career. Yeah. Al, so if someone's listening to this and they're interested in learning more about your business or maybe even working with you, how can they get in touch with you? How does that work? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Al D, and you can connect with me, or you can go to my website, betterworklabs.com, where you can find a little bit more about my business, sign up for my newsletter, but either of those places are great. And thank you so much, Priscilla, for having me. This was awesome. Yeah, thank you so much, Al. Thank you so much for listening today. Make sure you head over to ecmpodcast.com slash free course and sign up for my free job search training course. I teach you the three things that you need to know before you go into a job search process. My goal is to help you change careers with confidence and ease so you can move on with your life. I'll see you next week.